It's not every day that you get to sit and chat with a president, let alone two of them. We're about to listen to a recording that took place on June 23rd during a morning workshop of the Northwest Christian Convention. Here, I had the honor and privilege of hosting a conversation between Presidents Derek Voorhees of Boise Bible College and Joe Womack of Bushnell University. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. How about we do this together? All right, welcome. Isn't, uh, I don't know about you guys, I don't get a chance to wake up every weekday morning and do worship music, and uh, it's just a really nice, welcome, and amazing moment. And uh, that particular worship set, I felt like it was just full of stuff that I really, really enjoy singing uh, uh, in group like this. And so I just wanted to welcome everybody. Um, we're going to be doing uh, the morning show with Derek and Joe. Uh, actually, this is going to be a really cool um, question and response time. I say question and response because I don't assume that anybody has all the answers except Jesus. Am I right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to have like a, a little discussion and you can kind of see the setup here, right? So it's going to be sitting down. And if you guys were here earlier, you know that um, Jesus did his best teaching while sitting down. But that means for you all that you may want to kind of slide in a little bit. Obviously, we're mic'd, but it might mean you'll get a better chance to kind of see what's happening. So I would encourage everybody to kind of slide middle and forward and separate into categories. We want, we want Womackians and Voorheesians set up here. Just kidding. The whole reason we're doing this is because Becca and I and our team believe wholeheartedly that the work of educating, um, educating Christians for a world engagement with the message of the gospel is a collaborative reality. It's not, you know, what is Womack doing at Bushnell? It's not what is Voorhees doing at Boise Bible? It's not, you know, what is Emmanuel doing? It's not any of those things. So this time is really and truly a conversation among friends about the future of spiritual development among our, um, our folks out there in the world. All of us who move out there and do the work Wherever we happen to be, whether we're carpenters or whether we're uh, educators, whatever we do. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a conversation and we're going to just open it up. But what I want you all to be thinking about, um, we're going to hand out three by five cards. Now, how this is going to work is if you have questions for either Derek or Joe or just a general question that you would like uh, to hear some response to, we won't address it here, but what the cool thing about our, um, our convention this year and last year is we've incorporated uh, an audio element. We're doing podcasts. And what's great about that is it means we get to have this conversation go further into the year, right? So not just one week of convention, but maybe over the next few weeks, you'll start to hear these things coming on our website, and you can listen to this conversation, and maybe your question that you ask in one of those three by cards, five cards will show up in that and it'll be this opportunity for you to engage further into our year. So I would recommend as those three by five, five and I even did a vocal warm up, as these three by five cards come around, feel free to fill one out. Uh, they'll get picked up by um, a couple of our folks, uh, Matt and Casey here. If you have one, just drop it to them. But the place you wanna do that they're going to get it, but it's going to be back at that desk where the, the sound stage is. So when you fill it out at the end, just drop it back there with those guys. Uh, they're all very nice. Uh, well, one of them isn't, but I won't tell you which one. 
So anyway, just kidding. They're all great. So that's what we're going to do. So now, for the next little while, we're going to be up here having a conversation. And like I said, the closer you get, the more it'll feel like you're part of the conversation as we talk about education and spiritual development among the youth and even, you know, even some old guys. I went to Bushnell when I was like mid-20s. So, you know, it can happen. You can be an old guy on campus. So, anyway, I'd like to invite Derek and Joe to come up. So this is uh, Derek Voorhees of Boise Bible College and Joe Womack of Bushnell University. So come on up, guys. Welcome. Yeah, I, I mean, we can be comfortable, but not too snugly. I, I, my wife is out there somewhere, so we've got to be careful about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So what I want to do uh, to start is just to open it up for you guys, and I'm going to throw out this question, which is kind of a get-to-know-you question. So I want to see from both of you, and you can choose which one goes first, no, no wrestling or fighting over who gets to answer questions first. Okay. So first I want to know, um, how did either of you or both of you find yourselves in ministry or um, how did you find that ministry led you to education? So this is kind of a general, what got you here? Uh, what, what did Christ do and move in your life to get you to this place uh, where you are currently in your work and in your life? So that's, I'm going to throw that out there and let you guys answer that one for us. Go ahead, Joe. So I, I, in the middle of my undergraduate experience, I spent a year and a half at, at, at Bushnell at NCC. Uh, I guess I have to admit, because Carla's in the room, um, as a disciplinary measure by my, by my folks and the dean of students at Texas Christian University, where I was a student. Um, and... Uh, and it was, and I didn't have an academic aim. I went to college because that's what everyone in my family did. Uh, I was much more interested in, in fact, I, I'm fairly certain the only way I ended up with a bachelor's degree was the effort to stay eligible to play baseball. Um, and uh, TCU, NCC, Bushnell, back to TCU to finish. It was those four quarters, we were on quarter system then, uh, where I felt like the Lord really got a hold of me. And it was through the academic study of scripture that that, that, that primary uh, is what the Lord used as the primary uh, way of getting it. I did, it's very, it, DH left because you know he doesn't want to listen to anybody else talk, he wants, right? Did he really leave? He did leave. <laughs> Joke doesn't quite work if he's not in the room, but never mind. So um, uh, the it was it's interesting. You guys were talking about that last night, apparently, and, and, and then we, of course we talked about it today. Is that that you you get that call, and then you get a subsequent confirmation of a of a specific call. Uh, I think I got call, 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 and then didn't notice the confirmation, and then I ended up in this seat. Uh, and I started I started in higher education and coaching, um, and and. Uh, California Baptist University in Southern California, um, and uh, and then 
20 years later, ended up in this seat, and I'm not entirely sure how, how all that happened. A lot of schooling went in between there, uh, but I, I just found that I loved, the, I loved the environment of the Christian college, um, and I, I noticed that after I was in it as an employee. My goodness, that time at, at Bushnell, that time at NCC was unbelievably impactful on me. But I don't think I noticed it in the, in, in the moment, which my wife would say is a very common trait, doesn't notice what's going on in the moment. But, uh, um, and then I just fell in love with, with, with Christian higher education, Riverside, San Jose, Sacramento, Eugene. <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate that. I did a lot of coaching right out of high school as well, and long before I figured that thing out. And it's, there's just something about doing that kind of work or, or playing in sports where there's a collaboration and there's kind of an obvious team building. But I, it's really neat to hear, um, to hear that kind of build. So, Derek, over to you. Yeah, so I grew up in central Illinois, Christian home, um, strong, healthy church in a youth group. So I knew who... Uh, Jesus was and the scriptures were and, and I'd, uh, Lincoln Christian University is just in my backyard uh, so, but all I wanted to do is play soccer so I mean from uh, kindergarten into high school and then college and hoping to be picked up by a, a dream of a D1 school so I stayed in a community college there playing soccer um, and uh, had a, a mentor of mine who played Division I soccer say, so if you're going to continue that, how's that going to advance the kingdom? And I was a Jesus follower, but I'd never been asked that question. I was just thinking about my career, my aspirations, and I didn't know how to answer it. And he says, well, go to a college where maybe you can find that answer. So, and go far enough away you have to grow up, you know, like do your own laundry and not run home. So Ozark became the suggested place. And so I went to Ozark, sight unseen in Missouri, uh, sort of to play soccer in a Christian place and maybe find out what I can do for the kingdom. And, you know, uh, Mark Scott's Acts class freshman year just caught me how he broke open the scripture, uh, Book of Acts, and made it come to life. And that was just uh, um, gripping all the way through. But I, I didn't have any aspirations to go into ministry. I mean, I didn't, I, I was in a singing group, traveled around, played soccer, um, until maybe my junior, senior year and did an internship and then invited to talk to a guy uh, about being a coming youth minister. It was never on my radar. So that step, that started, you know, 23 years of located church ministry from that moment of going to a place where I didn't know what I wanted to do to finding a passion for the scriptures and to help the church become healthy and understand the, the global church while at Ozark. And all of that opened up just an avenue of uh, church ministry um, and, and more education because I fell in love with the scripture and, and how to break open the scripture like Mark Scott. You know, and so I needed more education. And so that's where some master's degree fit in maybe one day to teach. But it, it was never a, a dream I thought was reality. So I just fell in love with helping the church get a hold of the Bible and get, get gripped by the scriptures. I fell in love with that. And in, in light of that, that's you now we're just more training. And I saw the equipping need for elderships uh, as, I, as I had more years under my belt, I saw just the, the lack of developed, matured elders. They loved the church but didn't have the biblical worldview uh, or a, a scriptural paradigm to interpret it always well. So my education stepped me into some more education. And so I backdoored into higher ed. You know, I was a student for a while and uh, pastor at churches and then was asked by Boise if I'd become a faculty member. 
first a board member and then a, a faculty member because of the, the growth of the college. So that's how I ended up at, at Boise Bible College was to teach. And it was actually a, a dream that had come true. Uh, never thought of that when I went to Ozark, but all of a sudden, uh, all that I've been doing in local churches to break open the scriptures and to make it come alive to students and to parents and to elders, and, and now I get to do it at, at BBC and then just recently, you know, overseeing that college. So that's where I slid into it. Uh, I'm still learning higher ed, Joe. I mean, I'm still figuring this out. Uh, I'm still, uh, uh, it's, a, it, it's an educational experience right now. It's not part of my DNA originally. Well, there's a there's an ongoing theme there, which I just wanted to tap into. So both of you guys were sports guys, uh, baseball and soccer. So quick follow up question: what what positions or where did you play in those sports? Because I actually am kind of curious. I was a middle infielder and a middle outfielder going into college, and then I was all conference pitch charter while in college, which means I didn't play a lot in college. <laughs> uh, uh, there is no all-conference pitch charter. But I think there should have been, and, and, and I would have enjoyed the recognition, but uh, mainly an outfielder in college. Gotcha. And Derek? Yeah, growing up, I was always really fast, and so I was always a striker up front scoring goals. But in high school and college, I was shifted back because I could compete with their, with their strikers. I became the stopper or sweeper. So I was the guy right in front of the keeper, just picking up their fast striker, trying to keep him from scoring. So I love that defensive posturing that was... That was cool. Ask him the real question. You had a pretty good shoulder then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A little yeah. check there, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. A little, like little sweeping. Yeah. I like it. I like it. You know yeah. it. <laughs> um, well, guys, the, the next question kind of gets at vision, more specific to you guys, but I decided I would do some research for this so I looked like I was prepared. So I actually looked up your guys' uh, you know, prospective schools to look up what their, what their mission, what, what they do. And what they say, and weirdly enough, I found out the school I attended, which was one of these two, has changed their, their statement. And I was like, oh, that's different. That's not what I remembered. So, so now I get to learn something as well. So uh, Boise, uh, and I learned this a little bit last night as well, uh, is there to glorify God by equipping servant leaders who build up the church um, uh, to advance the gospel worldwide. And then Bushnell uh, is, um, they aim to produce Christ-filled um, uh, oh, sorry, uh, wisdom, faith, and service through excellent academic programs with a Christ-centered community. Um, in terms of you guys, you guys obviously have, you know, your own personal way of doing um, the administration and the, the guidance of your schools, respectively. What is, what is your personal, you know, um, mission and, and vision centered way of doing things guides you into this kind of work? What does that look like for you both? I think there's a, a for me, I, it, it's, I always try to boil the depth and the complexity of my motivation to, to simple terms to remind me of you know, listen, there's a, there's a, there's groundwork to be done today. There's something practical to be done today. There's something that, that, that should have meaning in this day. And, 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 and it, and it, it probably is a combination of, of, uh, of a few professors that took real interest in me, um, 
academically, and it's probably influenced by 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 good coaching. Um, and I'm going to let I'm going to I'm going to use the words of of my my oldest son, who is now a collegiate baseball coach, when asked why he decided to coach baseball as, as a career. And, and he said, well, what I do is I coach young men. And I use the game of baseball to do it. And so what I hope my personal uh, motivation is on a day-to-day -day basis is uh, what I hope to do is build young men and women for Christ. And I use Bushnell University to do it. Love that. Ditto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, the, the coaches and mentors um, that have influenced me as a young middle schooler, high schooler into college, um, both ath athletically as well as spiritually or academically, uh, and then at, at Ozark and at, at Lincoln and at, uh, those, those guys, you know, have poured into me and I don't feel it it's a responsibility, but I feel it's an honor to continue what they did. And so that whole passing the baton and equipping others, and co I love the coaching metaphor, I've done some coaching. I always wanted to play D1 ball, never did, but I ended up coaching middle school, high school, right? So I, I ended up doing that. And so now to do that here and using the field of Boise Bible College, you know, as a way to influence uh, how I've been influenced, man, what an honor, it's pretty humbling. Wow. Thanks, guys. Um, so I'm going to kind of dive into the educational piece specifically. Um, and and what, I, what I'm trying to search for, and I've obviously got the questions written down, so I'm not hurting myself to think for, for everything. But what I want to know is kind of the broader question of how um, education, because you guys are both educators in the, in the broader administrative sense and, and obviously teaching a little bit as well, how does education itself fit into, um, into the broader vision of what Jesus did in making disciples, the Christian development piece? Like, because that's what he did. He developed disciples. And so, um, you know, we, we think of the church oftentimes as the place where discipleship is done. But I want to know, like, where does Christian education fit into the the spiritual development, the Christian development of people. So what do you guys have for, for me on that one? I'm not going to go first every time. Yeah, you know, I'm going to let you go. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the several passages that kind of become bedrock passages for how I would perceive Christian higher education uh, would be John 17. And we're hearing it quite a bit about, about the unity, that we become one as the Father and I are one, Jesus said. John 17 also says that they would know the truth. And so that truth of God's word, the, the message of God combined with the love, I think that's, those are the pillars of our heritage, unity and love and, and truth and some element of a standard. And so I think that the higher educational element is the way to help students bring those two together again. And, but it's nothing that we're creating. We're just mirroring what the church is to do. But one of the things the Christian education element can do is to, to standardize, test, equip on that truth part. We can measure that. That's quantifiable. There's a biblical standard that we can see. Are they getting that? So that's how I would see the, the higher education and the church come together, just by using one passage of Scripture. Want to add to that, Joe? Yeah. 
I, you know, one of one of the one of the things I think is missing in a in our in today, and I'm not, I'm not I'm not a big one on pointing out what's wrong. I think we should be focused on pointing to who is right. Uh, and and you'll you'll hear a lot of things about you know you, you know what is truth it's my truth so I have I, you know I own this truth you own another truth and if our truths are not the same then what our culture tells us today is that means we're in opposition and we're supposed to be in a fight yeah and and again boiling things down to a simple to a to a to a simple concept to use in the work of the church, to use in the work, the work of the church is the work of our Christian lives. We're, we're, we are identified as Christian in organizations, not because somehow we actually have a organization or a thing that is Christian. It is the collective of individual Christ followers that are exercising a mission within that organization that makes it a, a Christian organization. And so one of the things that, that, that I think is really important is, is to and it's not new knowledge, it's not a new concept, but a, a, to find new energy for it, that truth is not a subject matter. Truth is a person. Truth is Jesus. Uh, the, only, the only truly unifying force in the universe is Jesus Christ. And, and as we look at subject matter, as, and, and whatever that subject matter is, and, 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 I'm, and, I, and I get in a lot of trouble when I say this, and I don't know how many of our uh, people we have here today uh, get in trouble with this, is that I, I almost don't care what the subject matter is. If you are examining that subject matter through the lens of biblical truth, mm -hmm. through the lens of Jesus Christ, mm -hmm. then, then you are chasing after God's wisdom, which is something more than technical knowledge and skill, more than simple preparation so that I can do a job. I, and I can do it well. Those are important things. We need to. We need to. We need technical knowledge. We need skill sets. We need to be pointed in a direction that makes sense. But we. But but those are all secondary and tertiary, even to 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 the examination of information, of knowledge, of interaction, of relationship, of of of, of subject matter, through the lens of the truth that is found in Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, and I think that's that's how Christian higher education helps the church yep. most most significantly. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I just I just uh, one question, bingo, because Becca wanted me to get you to talk about truth as a person and not as a subject. So I win that one um, because we really did have a great conversation, you guys and and Becca and I earlier this year, where we really dive we dove into some of that, and I I just love getting to hear that. Um, from you both as we think about what it means uh, to raise up a generation of, you know, not just people with technical skills, but people who, um, who examine what they do, um, not by standards set by the world, but by standards, by, by truth embodied in Christ. So I really, really appreciate that. You guys, um, uh, I, I, it's just good having the conversation. But I feel like we've, we've kind of gotten through um, sort of the get to know you piece. And so what I kind of want to dive us into now is to move into what you guys have seen uh, as you educate and as you've been in education. Derek, how, how many years have you been doing? 2011 is when I came to uh, BBC. Uh, I did some online instruction through Dallas Christian. Right. Early, early 2000s. Right. 
So, you, so you've been at this for a decade or more. Yeah. So, um, and, and Joe, how long have you been working in an educational setting? Since 1991. <laughs> wow. I am old. I never Feeling every one of those years. I, I never would have guessed it. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well then, in terms of what you guys have seen, uh, um, I, I actually want to ask the question, what do you see changing um, generationally? I mean, I know we, it's unfortunate, I feel like in our culture, we do this a lot where we label a generation and we label its qualities and its categories and we kind of, um, not intentionally always, but we kind of belittle it by doing that. What I really want to know is how do we see the, the changes that are going on and how does, um, how does a place like Bushnell or Boise mm. adjust to meet the needs of this generation that's coming through right now. So I wanna know that piece. Um, maybe we'll start with, with Derek again. Yeah, one of the things I shared last night at our um, annual supper as a college was some of the academic uh, class rearrangement that we made in light of a generation that's coming in that wants to do something for Jesus, has a passion for the kingdom, but may not necessarily have that biblical paradigm quite squared up. Yeah. And so we can't assume, as it maybe was assumed when you and I we're an undergrad. We can't assume those biblical bedrock pieces are there and the lens is clear. So, uh, you know, we moved a biblical interpretation class to a fall or spring semester in their freshman year. Uh, we moved ethics class out of the freshman year because they didn't have a biblical paradigm set. It just became a debate of war. <laughs> Because it was, it was your ethic or my ethic. And so we moved that back to the sophomore year. We just have arranged some classes appropriately. Um, I shared last night a class that our academic dean has asked if I would teach. The faculty asked if I would teach a class called Life and Ministry with Jesus. And it's a really feely class. <laughs> it, it's hard to grade, actually. But it is, a, it is a class to help them. We can't assume they know who Jesus is, though they, they love him and want to do something for him. And so it's clearly, let's just follow Jesus to Luke 5 and watch him with Peter. Let's watch him with the Samaritan woman. Let's watch him with, with this person. And just, how, what do you react? What do you feel? If you're a disciple there hearing him say that, how, what reaction would you have? And it's really a, an experiential journey. And, and forcing our students to pray to that Jesus. At, that's what I can grade. Yeah. And so many of the students yeah. said, thanks for asking me to create a prayer discipline for 16 weeks. I've never had that before in my life. Whoa. So it's just a real formational set. It's right out of the gate. It'll start again in August. New kids coming in. That's a, that's a shift we've made at the college coming in. So I want to ask a quick follow-up before yeah. we go back over to Joe. Does that mean that, that Boise is recognizing a relational dynamic in the next generation where, where what, what they need to see is the relationships that Jesus has. So it's not, um, so Jesus has these relationships with these folks that come into his ministry, right? He, he yeah. relates to them in, in different ways. Would you say, based on what you've said in terms of trying to build relationship before you dive into, say, ethics, would you say that this generation you're seeing now really wants to develop the relational piece before they jump into... Um, you know, just just what is truth? They want they want to see that Jesus is relational. Is that yeah? I think you're I think you're on there that Chad. And so there's a real there's an emotive element to encountering Jesus that in higher ed isn't always permitted. We are allowing it to live. We want them to feel something. That's first semester, and I tell them because I teach what happens second semester. We do a pretty hefty freshman doctrine class, so they're doing the experience Jesus. 
this way. Now let's experience Jesus this way in both semesters to encounter the truth in the person, but with their heart and their head in their freshman year experience. So is that like a cohort? Like they, they're kind of expected to go down a guideline? Yeah. Yeah, okay, that the makes freshman sense. Freshman year classes at the college are pretty well largely set for them because we see the schematic making some sense academically, even emotionally and spiritually in their formation. All right, then I'll swap over to you, Joe, in terms of, in terms of this generation. Well, it, what, I'll qualify before I, I make what might sound like a critical statement. I don't, and I don't, I don't mean it to be, I just mean it to be, it's simply what is. It's so, it's always so easy for this, uh, for any generation to look at the one that, that is following in a, in a critical eye um, that's been true throughout all time. What we're experiencing in the last couple of generations is that, that we have generations that, that truly have no tolerance for that. Don't have the tolerance to look at me as, as less than or oddly different. Uh, but this is a generation that is biblically illiterate. You see that too? It's, oh, it's, it, they're completely biblically illiterate. Uh, and rather than our generation criticizing that reality in them, which I find unbelievably myopic, because if they are biblically illiterate, whose responsibility is that? Yeah. It's our generation. Mm -hmm. So we have, to, we have to really check a ivory tower uh, tendency in ourselves to adjust what is remedial in terms of, of, of biblical study. Um, and, and, and we have to do that in a, in, a, in a hyper sense because while we require every undergraduate to, to take 20 some units of biblical study, there are a great many of those, that's how many, many units they'll take. So, and Derek will get them for four years. You've got them through the whole thing. We have to re-examine now. How do I how do I set that lens in its in its beginning and do so without it being a condemnation of what's going on? Mm -hmm. uh, we just need to simply look at that as, as as a way of I I part of our responsibility is to create biblically literate graduates. Then how do I do that? And how do I do that in a way that isn't talking down to a generation? Uh, as, as that being an indictment on something that they were responsible for. Because it, it actually is our fault that they are. Uh, and, and, uh, and so I, th I think that's part of an adjustment that, that yeah. we need to make without, without getting upset about it. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Our goal is still the same. We still need to, we still need to, need, uh, to capture that. And then create that in a way, and I do think that there are there are relational issues to that. I, I, I do think again, it's take it out of the context of subject matter and put it into a person. It's a relationship. Mm -hmm. you're, 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 they're, they're, there's their doctrine, there's theology. We're going we're to get to that. That's important. It's 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 it, and it's fun, and it's fun. Let's have our arguments when we get to those points, but let's make sure that we're introducing Jesus. Uh, to people as, 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 as tangible. I love the, the notion of, the, of, of 
creating the disciplines. Hmm. Um, if, if they're not receiving that in their churches, in their youth groups, or they're not coming from those uh, uh, backgrounds, uh, then, then this notion that is fraught within Christian higher education, that that is beneath hmm. the, the mission of higher education infuriates me. Because higher education, and Alexander Campbell spoke so beautifully to this, mm-hmm. that the goal of higher education is to adorn the soul of man. Mm-hmm. We have this wonderful tradition yeah. that talked about this, and I mean, he wrote that in like 1840-something, uh, is, is that we are to adorn, we are to give, we are to impart, we are to draw out mm-hmm. what they need to live life well. And, 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 and if that's the goal, then whatever adjustments we need to make to level of what we think arrogantly was our level. When I, well, when I was a freshman, I understood these. I don't care. He doesn't. Let's teach. That's our job. Joe, can I ask a question? Yeah. Chad? Yeah. So do you see this to be true? Uh, you mentioned some of the intolerance in, in a generation today. One thing we've observed, and I'm curious if you've observed this or how it's a little different, is students coming in, Christians, um, that might have a social opinion on something and having a difficult time to be in the same room with another Christian with a varying or a different <laughs> social... So they don't even know how, how to relate with the differences of opinion, and so the canceling happens. Oh, yeah. Okay, Oh yeah. Well, what what are we competing with? This generation competes with, with opinions, like no other generation in the world. I mean, and it's not just that it's a little bit more. Yeah. It's constant, because what's, and 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 in this group, I think I can say this safely. I, that's the devil. (laughs) That thing's ruined education. Mm -hmm. It's made research not difficult. I won't get into that, that. It's. Lowered the, the you, when you have all of the information of the world in the palm of your hand, all of a sudden it, 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 the, the source of that information is, is not tested. You know, you know thing- who wrote whatever, this opinion, who wrote that? Where did they go to school? What did they study? Do they have, you know, do, do, they, do they have a pedigree and a background that, that I should listen to? You know, you know is this... It, are they reliable? Are they, they reliable? Get... Does their life match what they're, what they're teaching, what they're saying? And so they get a thousand pieces of information a day on all of these different subject matters. And there's no responsibility for it. It's not, it's, it's not real. It's, it's virtual. I don't have to sit here and have a discussion with the opinion that's on my phone. Right? And it comes in entertaining ways. And it comes in flashing neat you know, easy to obtain ways. So now we have to take the student and say, wait a minute, you, these, these are not simple things. There are other opinions. Mm-hmm. And just because we don't have the same opinion on something doesn't mean we're supposed to hate each other. But that's not what they're taught. They're taught that means that the, the, I'm not only to disagree, I'm to have, I'm, I have emotional distrust and hatred of the other person. Again, our tradition says... Listen, in, in, in the big things and the key things, we unify on those things. And the things that are not the big things, they're, not, they're still important, but they're not the big things. We have all this charity. 
But wrapped around this, we remind ourselves that in all things it's love. In all things we love one another. I love you because you're a person that God created, and regardless of your opinions, regardless of what you've done. And, and we have to teach a, 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 a group of people that have been taught the opposite yeah. in much more effective ways that, that, that listen, that's not, that doesn't have to be the case. It's almost a hundred-year cycle of fundamentalism. Yeah. Yeah, I, I coming every, back up in a different form. Yeah, everything that I on both sides correct. this time. So it's fundamentalism where it used to be fundamentalism was a, a one side of the pendulum. Yeah. Right now we have this crazy fundamentalism that's both sides of the pendulum. Yep. So the super 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 nut job liberal behaves just like the super super nut job conservative. Yeah. But they're espousing different different things. And, and we're smacking kids back and forth between, between the case. We need to find where we can, where there can be a landing place of grace and truth. I love the, 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 the scripture you read earlier, you know, that the, there, you know, Jesus, the embodiment of grace and truth. It wasn't, you know, left side grace, right side truth. It's that that's one ingredient. Grace and truth is one ingredient yep. embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And again, that's why we have to make sure that whatever we do, what we're doing is we're pointing to Christ. We're not pointing out all the wrongs. We're not acting surprised that a lost world behaves lost. Yeah. We're pointing to Jesus. We're pointing to Jesus. That's the lens through which we look at subject. And I think higher ed can help the church um, think through that. Let's help you to think through this paradigm of this person of Jesus and why divided divisions are happening. But I think that's the... The church helps people think, but we really can help elevate that level of let's let's process this according to a paradigm of scripture and the person of Jesus. Let's really think, and, and as as a faculty and staff, we can yeah. in relationship kind of hold their feet to the fire, um, and definitely grading Absolutely. plays a part of that yeah. too. Yeah. Love it. You know. Um, I was going to make a snarky comment about, you know, I listened to a podcast about this or that. But I, one of the things that I've found in this, um, particularly in the last couple of years, and I'm kind of easing towards a pandemic question. But Becca and I, as we've, you know, navigated, um, you know, we're both uh, NCU grads, Bushnell grads. Um, yeah, I'm not trying to plug one or the other. I just happen to have come from... from from Bushnell, because that's where I grew up, is, is here in, in, uh, in Lane County. So one of the things that Becca and I have struggled with, and we've been talking about a lot and thinking about a lot and listening to people that we find credible, you know, trying to do that thing where we're not just researching, but we're thinking about what voices out there are speaking into these things. Um, and I, one of those podcasts got into this idea of somebody going into a church with a background in... Um, in library tech services. So when they have that conversation about I did the research, there's somebody on hand in the church teaching a small group that says, but did you? Because what is the research you did? Where did it come from? Who said it? You know, um, do you respond emotionally before thinking about it? Like the, the reality of the, the devil in the hand is that sometimes we read a thing, we dislike and we respond without engaging it thoughtfully uh, prayerfully. So one of the things that Beck and I struggle with, and this is leading into the question, is it's been hard 
And here, the last couple of nights, we've been talking about the unity of the body of Christ in cities. It's been hard to love fellow Christians in all of this stuff, in pandemic, in social unrest, in you know, the availability of just an argumentative space. So I wanna know from you two, how has the pandemic affected education and how, um, as we hopefully are easing out of that time period, how has the pandemic, um, how, how are you emerging from it? Not as a report, but how does that look um, practically for both of you coming out of the pandemic with kids and education? That's a really good question. I'm not <laughs> sure I know what the answer is. Uh, and we probably have it a little bit, a little bit of different. I mean, I, I, I would have much rather been in Boise during the pandemic <laughs> than in Eugene, Oregon, I'll tell you that much. Um, and I won't, I, I will not tell you what I think of how all that was handled. Um, God's been really good. Uh, university went into that pandemic in a very solid uh, financial state. And we're going to continue to see a number of colleges close uh, because of, of, of what has happened in, in terms of the enrollments that, that especially the Northwest was hit so hard uh, in that. And so in, in lieu of a report, God's been really good and the university's in a, in a really neat place. Um, from, from an academic standpoint, one of the things that I'm, I'm really kind of excited about was to watch the traditional student, not the, the graduate population's a little bit different, um, but to, to watch our traditional students absolutely fight to be together. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And when, and I served on the commission, the, the governor's commission for reopening higher education and how they kept on talking, they were like, oh, it was a seamless transition to online education, it was seamless whatever. It actually was, our faculty did an amazing job. I don't, I don't know how in the world, I, I would not have, handled that well. Uh, I don't, wouldn't know what to do in that setting. They did an incredible job with that. But it was not a seamless transition into online education. And undergraduate students, our undergraduate students, wanted nothing to do with that as a, as, as a, a way of doing things. And so we were one of the very few that stayed face-to-face, -face, stayed open, and went through all of the headache of, of constantly changing uh, protocols that were, that were mandated by the state. And, and all that. As we emerge out of that, what what I'm what we're talking about with our faculty and our and our staff and administration, our board, are talking about we need to really take advantage of how how passionate they were about being together. Mm -hmm. So the education that we provide, schools like us provide, is a very intimate education. Mm -hmm. It's a very it's a mentor learner environment yeah. where the students are known. We're asking them to we're asking them to make a very intimate commitment to life, and and to do that again from from and it, it, it can happen, you know, uh, you can meet Jesus on your own reading the Bible and it can have that effect on your life, uh, but but the but the mission is a very intimate guiding mission um, that I'm very pleased. Uh, is not what many had predicted in the midst of this, is that education will no longer have a traditional uh, or even residential 
uh, aspect to it. Um, what we saw were college students that just fought for for that. Uh, they like being together. They like in, engaging the living, learning environment. Um, and that's, that's fun to see. I know I, I said not for a report, but I do have a follow-up question. In terms of fighting for that traditional in-person thing, practically did that mean like creating a bubble where like folks were kind of stuck <laughs> to the space? I mean, yeah. I, honestly, those, those practical tidbits were very difficult to navigate. So how, just briefly, did that work? with you all in terms of that. I mean, I live in town, but I, yeah. I wasn't paying that close oh, attention. Oh, we had, to, we had uh, I, I used to have Troy, Troy's here, come tell her, Corinne, come tell her how they actually did it. I, uh, one of the joys of my role and those kind of things is, you know, make sure that works right. This is what I'm telling you I want. Now make sure, it's, so we had, we had, we sectioned off an apartment, uh, a building and an apartment complex for the quarantine. We had people in and out of that all the time. You had to test like crazy. You, you know, you had to test when athletic teams came to visit. You had to test before they left, and you had to test. And you went back through these things. And there were there were several canceled games, canceled uh, uh, all of the all of you know all the mission trips that were overseas, all the study abroad things were canceled. Um, and we just had an incredible amount of. You just got to figure out how to deal with this mess. Here's the challenge, work it, make sure the mission stays central to what you're doing. Masks, chapels, I mean, it stunk. They had to six feet apart, everybody in a mask. I, I don't know how faculty taught wearing a mask to a masked audience. They were incredible. Uh, I, I'll, I'll admit to you, when it was my time to speak in chapel, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to wear a mask and I cannot stand not seeing people's faces that I'm communicating with. Um, and uh, so it was, it, was, it was the most challenging two years in my educational career. Um, an incredible couple of years. God did amazing things, but it wasn't fun. Uh, and, and, uh, and the staff did an incredible job. But you, it, was, it was all of that, and it shifts every two or three weeks. So what you're saying is, is that you, you physically kept the kids' noses clean. <laughs> well, most of them. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> most, had, to, had to throw in most an old school joke. If they there. sniffled, they were like banished to the sick pod, you know. <laughs> I mean, but the, uh, a lot of testing, that was very expensive. Um, and uh, we actually got a part. We created a new test. We were a part of a group, our science faculty and, and Corbin University's uh, science faculty came up with a new rapid test that ended up being used. Um, there's a couple of, if they patent that right, there's a couple of faculty members that, that should have seen a fairly uh, decent financial windfall from that. But, uh, you know, getting involved. Okay, how do we work the problem? How do we, how do we get through it? Thanks, Joe. So, Derek, how does it look like coming out of the pandemic for you all? Yeah, similar protocols that we had to follow there, not quite to the same extreme as, as Oregon, of course, but there was a season there. Uh, if I can broaden it a bit to... I think the pandemic had multiple layers to it um, because it was it was a several year season there of of BLM and some of the uh, murders that took place or the the deaths of some black individuals. You had a presidential election that was going on and very very divisive there. Uh, you had the COVID and masking and vaccine happening, and then for our students, you know, just the academic stress. 
in a bubble. So I would say the pandemic was large, was larger than in this season of, of this younger generation than just the, the masking and vaccine. It was that, but that, that really surfaced or embellished and, and revealed some many issues. I would say one of the things that, that we were maneuvering through in the, in the relational proximity that we have with residents on campus uh, was working through Romans 14 and 15. The weaker brother, stronger brother paradigm became a real way for us to talk about differences on whether it's politics or it's race or it's vaccine or masking or whatever. And so we're using that because, you know, in the Treasure Valley of Boise as here, well, maybe not as here. In the, in the Boise area, there were, there were churches full-on masking like they were in Eugene, Oregon, and churches full-on unmasking like they were in Coeur d'Alene. I mean, just... And so our students are plugged in a variety of churches, and the spectrum was broad. So how do we work with mutual submission? How do I mutually submit to you on a non-salvation issue? How do, I, how do I mutually learn to submit and to regard you as an image bearer? I'm saying it like it was pretty easy, but that was at least <laughs> the paradigm that we were trying to work through in our relationship with our students. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think anything was easy. Um, and, and, and really the question, and I think, you know, I, I listened to a, to a long conversation with a pastor, um, really well-known one, I don't need to drop names, but the conversation was around how adaptive a big church like his had to be in, in the face of not just a global pandemic, but social unrest, um, you know, a lot of, you know, um, really, really dense conversations about how do we work in society to stop um, inequality and hatred and all of those things alongside, yeah, really, really contentious politics, really, really contentious belief systems. And, and basically that those those touch points, they're, they're crises, right? And then on top of that, you had fires, you had, you know, tornadoes. I mean, like, most of Australia burnt down, and a lot of our areas, mm -hmm. you know, basically every major city up the I-5 corridor had a fire within, you know, breathing distance of us for one point there. And all of those things become a possibility for Jesus to speak into the world. Right. And so I like the paradigm you talked about there, and I think that's really valuable. Last follow-up question in this kind of the change reality that we're in. I kind of want to get a feel from both of you about um, raising a generation of folks that are, are growing in biblical literacy, obviously, are growing in their sense of um, their relationship to God, their relationship to the world, and how those two things meet, right? But the, the question of adaptability, right? I mean, we had to adapt a ton, not just churches, but culture, society, areas, regions, you know, whatever, how would you say universities play in the role of teaching kids as they're growing up in their faith, growing up in their education, to be able to adapt? Because clearly, when I was young, I didn't have to do that much adaptation, but these guys did. So what does, what does that look like practically in schools to try and teach um, that really, really nebulous thing of, of being able to move? you know, and, and to reorient and to think of uh, what's, what's most important or, or kind of as like the Stone Campbell movement says, the, you know, the unity and essentials, you know, and the ability to allow the non-essentials to shift and, okay, we're not going to worry about that as much, but in all things to love one another. So how did that look? How does that look to train adaptable young people? So here again, I think, I think one of the things that, that, that 
that that educate that education should do that Christ-centered education is called to do uh, is to provide perspective, right, or lens, paradigm, as as you were saying. Um, one of the funniest things I'm still laughing about this. Uh, my folks are are the ministers of First Christian Church in North Bend, Oregon, tiny little church uh, and went over and we were visiting and walked in and no one was wearing a mask. Well, no one in Oregon was not wearing a mask. Okay, there, weren't, there wasn't an argument. There was just resentment. And I said, Pop, what are you doing, man? You can't do this. You know, you guys are an elderly congregation. You, know, you, what are you doing? You know, you're susceptible to catching COVID and it's dangerous if you're older. And Dad's response was, if the Lord want to take me now and use COVID to do it, he's welcome to me. And I just about, I mean, I just about died. And everybody, all of them in there, they, just, they weren't going to, you know, listen, if this is it, this is it. That's, they were fine with it. <laughs> I just found it just, just, just amazing. And, and, and he, he was half joking, but he wasn't completely joking. And what I realized at 86 years old, his perspective is an eternal one. Now, the wisdom of that, we could argue that. I'm not, that's not the point I'm trying to make. Mm -hmm. What I'm trying to make is, is that it was just really, really cool to see that my dad's perspective is so eternal that he meant it. If the Lord want to take me now, mm -hmm. go ahead. <laughs> and I was convicted by that in, 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 in my, own, my own walk. Like, am I that eternally keyed in that this is just a teeny bit of this existence and we have no notion of I mean eternity is we, we, we can think and we can talk about it it's, it's that that is so beyond our ability to get a grasp on that this is you know right now feels like everything right now isn't everything and how do we help someone in their cognitive examination of their of, of, of subject matter, what they might do for a living, of their relationships, uh, it, you know, how do we, in their spiritual examination of calling and, 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 and duty and responsibility, how do we help process uh, that? And, I, and, and we should be the experts in this regard. How do we help you think critically and evaluatively and right. examine your place in this world? Right. How do I take all of this information and, and, and here's, here's, this is the bull, Here's, here's the things I need to, to, to think more about, and here's the things I can count on. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that, that, in, in that, that whole, you know, uh, Philippians prospect, that this is my prayer for you. Mm -hmm. I, I say this to every, every incoming class. This is, this is my prayer for you, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth and insight. So that, mm -hmm. so that, so that what? You can make a really good living. That's not always, no. So that you can choose what's good and right and beautiful to, to, to yeah, pay the Lord and praise good. of God, the Father. Uh, you know, so that you are able to identify this is what, this is what you know, we have right now and we need to articulate that. I'm not saying I necessarily have that done in my mind. But we need to, to, to be educating and graduating students that can look with perspective at the world. Again, regardless of subject matter. Certainly in the church. Certainly in the church. And how do we help the church see the next generation, see the next 
iteration of its effectiveness. Yeah. But uh, it's DH was talking about this morning. We gotta not forget that the gospel's good news. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Amen. This we have the answer. Mm -hmm. The answer is Jesus. Mm -hmm. The answer is you know how do you unify? How do you how do you deal with the BLM? I'm not gonna fight you. I don't see it this way, maybe. I don't see it that way, maybe. But I, I have a place where we can come together. And, and if I truly am centered in that, then I'm open to hearing a different opinion on a subject matter. Mm -hmm. I'm open to hearing, Joe, you don't get it, man. You're not seeing this. Okay, help me see it. But if we're gathered around the table, we're gathered around the reality that, that our connection, our brotherhood, our sisterhood, our family, we are the children of God, transcends any other thing that would separate us, right? That's not Joe's theory. That's, that's biblical theory. Mm -hmm. Transcends anything that would separate us. Or in the biblical language, nothing can separate us if we're in that thing. So we have to draw to that point and then from there launch the examination of, of, of career, of subject matter, of of. What do we do with the church? What's the Christian do in, the, in, in today's political world? Yeah. What's the Christian do in today's business world, in education? Because these are the mission fields of our, of, of, of our coming generations. And then how do we equip the, the, the increasingly weighty role of, of formal church leadership that, that has to stand and collect all of those all of those arrows uh, in, in a couple hours on Sunday uh, in a way that, that makes sense. Yeah. So you get, I, no, actually, you got me, you got me on my, my, my thing there. Actually, no, I, I, I drove you to it. That was, that was an attempt to get mm -hmm. us somewhere that I, I think is important. And, and for those of you out there, I do want to encourage you, there will be opportunities for pastors to get up here and chat and hear, um, you know, this experience, which you said the weighty, weighty thing of taking on church leadership and attempting to do in two or three hours a week what you guys get, you know, you know, four years to try and form pieces of this pie, um, to try to try and form a community of people around Christ in the midst of um, competing. And let's just be honest, competing in the sense of they have more bandwidth, like the world at at whole. Um, the conversation I've heard is this, that Christians believe in three types of evil, right? We believe in sin that I commit. We believe in um, higher powers and authorities, the powers and principalities that can, can cause damage to us, right? That war with us. And then there's this larger reality of the world, right? That there is sin that exists bigger, right? That, it, that it's more than one person's sin together collectively. So we believe in that as people. And so... I'm looking forward to that conversation with pastors on how that looks. But I want to finish up your thought on, on adaptability, and then I kind of want to close this with some hopeful things about what's coming. So, yeah. That's a really hard question, Chad. I remember when you asked this, this on our Zoom call and when I saw it in print. It's a very difficult conversation to have, and so it's a really long answer on a, helping our students adapt or not adapt. That would be the tension point. So... Uh, a quote that I had in my uh, upper studies, Howard Hendricks said, we have the never-changing word in an ever-changing world. Yeah. And so helping our students understand the never-changing word means you can't adapt on some things. 
even though the world is forcing you to adapt, squeezing you into its mold, Paul says, Romans 12. So one of the things that we are valuing our role to contribute to help the health of the church is to think critically, scripturally, as the inspired word. That we know that's not going to be comfortable for all of our students, 18 or 38, doesn't matter their age. We know that because the voices and the paradigms that are squeezing them into thinking about, I have to be so adaptable to be relevant. And, and I don't know if Jesus always was. He was the living truth, but he did it with such grace. So that's that combo of truth and grace, how to do it with truth and love, that truth is unbending, but I can do it cloaked in velvet and in grace and help students. I think one thing I pick up on our generation is their either or generation. We're saying, no, it's an, it's an and. It's an and right now. We have to be and. Jesus did truth and grace. He did grace and truth. It's not one or the other. And that's a tension point that I sense our younger generation doesn't know how to deal with. So we're going to segue to this question. I think the church and the responsibility of the church is to help them address that tension, not the moral ethical tension, but the moral, the, the scriptural biblical paradigm tension of how do I do truth and grace? How do I do grace and truth? And to help them wrestle with that early on, because then we just at higher ed can help them to think that on more of a, a more critical, um, academic, rigorous level to help them really process that all beneath the scripture. So another phrase is we want them to understand the scripture and to do that you need to stand under the scripture. We really want them to understand the scripture, a lens, but that means you have to stand under it. It has to be the authority in your life. It has to be the voice of all the voices around. And so we're seeing that as a, as a passionate priority of our existence as a college, again, to service the church. Because through that, the gospel of truth and grace is going to be lived out. All right. Well, this is going to unfortunately be quick. So the last thing I want to leave with and think about, um, and I'm just going to boil this into a like, a but, but. So a what, what? A but, but. So it's going to be, it's going to be like, it's like, what is, what does it look like? So the, the two questions I'm going to like merge together okay. to finish this out are this. Um, what, what hope and cool opportunity do you see in the next generation? So what's the hope? Mm. What's the challenge? So like the next generation, the folks that we're raising up to be leaders and thinkers and workers in the world, to love Jesus and to, uh, and to find a way to, to tell the truth without beating somebody to death with it, right? What is the hope for that? What is the challenge to achieve it? Um, so I will start with, with you, Derek. So what's the hope for this next generation that you're seeing? What's the challenge to hit on? Yeah, really succinctly, I think this generation has tenacity without a truth. It's a, it's a narcissistic existentialism, existentialism truth. And we're going to be ten, tenacious about what you're passionate about to bring transformation. Here's the truth to do that. That will keep you steady. And for, for our institution, we're trying to create a long-term pastoral passion, not to get burned out in a year or two. So that tenacity will, can burn out, but the truth keeps you pounding forward because the spirit of God is moving them forward. So there's the, there's the two so, sides of the coin. So the hope is that this is a tenacious generation. Absolutely. The challenge is they need truth to work through. Yep. Okay. They're tenacious everywhere. <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm laughing. I mean, it was such a they wonderful, are. wonderful uh, 
description of of of, of this generation. It 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 it's that, uh, and I think that's I think that's right on. I mean, how do you take the passion? You know, we have a, you know, and again, introduce them to just introduce them. To, I, mean, I know this sounds unacademic, and I can get a lot of trouble for this, but it's, it's not. And I want us to really understand that. And that's why your grandchildren and your kids should be coming to our institutions. And, and I'm not even going to get on to this kind of thing. The second generation, I know this is true, it's because it's true yeah. everywhere. As you study higher education, you hear everybody say, oh, I had this wonderful experience in my, in, in my Christian college, but somehow my kids are brighter and they ought to go to the, they ought to go to the U of O. Well, they ought to go to Boise State or they ought to go to Whitman. Mm -hmm. And it's the dumbest thing we do again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that's a whole other thing. Sorry. No, no. But uh, if, if you graduated from Boise Bible and it was the life-changing experience it was for you, why would you not consider that for your children? Mm. I don't understand. But. Thanks, Joe. What would, okay, so. so the tenacious all over the place. I, I think that's an, an, an excellent description because, you know, they're passionate about, about uh, racial reconciliation. Yeah. Jesus is reconciliation. Right on. Right. Nothing else is. Jesus is reconciliation. There's not a, there's not a, I don't, even if you don't believe, there's not even a theory given to this world mm. that, that, that competes with that. If you're in, you know, they're passionate about their environment, creation, introduce them to creation. Absolutely. Introduce them to reconciliation. Introduce them to that, you know, they're, 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 we, they have, they, because they have all of this confusion. They come from a broken world like we, we don't have, I mean, we can't fathom how broken it is. Hmm. And so I find the hope of this is, is that what we ought to be passionate about is what we're actually passionate about. We just kind of forgotten because we got bogged down in the, in, in the ways in which you administer these things. And that's point to Jesus. Mm -hmm. You want to study history? Great point to Jesus. You want to study business? Great point to Jesus. You want to study pastoral ministry? Please point to Jesus. Yeah, let's, let's do that. Uh, you know, and that's, and that's my hope and my excitement, whether it's, whether it's ministerial training that's focused on that subject matter as, 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 as our focus, or it's a broad liberal arts thing. If, you know, if, if, if all of the things that our generation is so concerned is broken, there is a healer yeah. that we can introduce them to. And if we'll use that as the heart and the emanating, animating force of our attempts to teach and, and create learning environments, then, then we will see transformation. That's good, Joe. So we're introducing the tenacious to the way, the truth, and the life of the person of Jesus Christ. I love Christ. it. I like, I'm going to steal your thing. I love they, They're tenacious everywhere. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. President, I think that's how it works. I did attend college, but I think it's like attorneys general. There's, there's two misters, but you're both president. So you guys, I've long desired to sit down and talk with you. I'm stealing. Um, uh, Chris did a really great uh, devotional communion thought last night about Jesus's long desire. I've been pretty excited about this conversation for a long time because uh, I love higher education. I've even gotten a chance to do a couple classes with you guys to teach and I just enjoy it. Cool. But um, Becca and I would like to close out this time by praying for you guys, your organizations, our education uh, in a difficult time. So I'm going to invite Becca up and we're just going to, we're just going to stand and pray for you guys because we, we see the value of what you're doing, and we, we really care about you guys. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be over here. All right. Uh, real quick. I, oh. 
Okay, I'd also, whoa, there we go. Sorry, y'all. Real quick, I'd also like to invite up Phil Roberts um, from Emmanuel, and we're going to incorporate him yeah. with this prayer. Yeah. He has a luncheon right after this, so we're going to hurry it along. Okay. And if you'd like Sorry, to Phil. go to the Emmanuel lunch, that's happening right after this in Pioneer. All right. Heavenly Father, standing before you now are three amazing men of God with their teams of men and women here in this place and, and beyond in the Northwest. Uh, hearts focused, desires passionate to serve you and to raise up a generation of men and women who are your saints and your hands and feet in the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you that uh, even as you showed us with David against Goliath, that though the world is bigger than us, you are greater still and you can use anything. And so surely you can use us. Lord, I ask that you would bless these men beyond measure with supernatural wisdom, power, authority to speak directly to the hearts of young men and women, that a generation and a movement would be catalystically moved forward in your name through them and through their schools, through their college, university, and seminary. Lord God, fill them with resolve. Mm -hmm. Resolve to meet that tenacity and to fill it with, with the person of Jesus Christ. That whatever, um, whatever we do, whatever they do as educators, that we continue to point back to, to all that, that fills and fulfills this, uh, this generation, this world, all the way to the eschaton, all the way to the end. We ask that you be with them, fill them with resolve to do and be what needs to be in their institutions, in their cities, uh, in the churches at large, and through the lives of the young people they touch. Lord God, be with them, be in them, uh, work through them. Um, your Holy Spirit, come onto them for all of those things. We pray and we thank you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This episode was produced by the Northwest Christian Network. Theme song is Simply Beautiful by Scott Riggin. The Northwest Christian Network is a network of Christians and churches gathering together to serve the kingdom and cast their net across the Northwest. Find out more about our ministries and events at www.nwchristiannetwork.com. I'm Matt Holmes. Thanks for listening.